someone. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and his leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Amen. So Holiday Bible Club 2019 is over. The sun has gone away on holiday. The dry cleaners in Ballinahinch, or at least Saintfield, has already been flooded with the question, do you do sashes? Glad you're here, Johnny. Glad you're here. The children are starting holidays. Believe it or not, the longest day of the year is over. Jackson's in Saintfield are already selling Christmas decorations. Honestly, although from the dust, I think it may have been there since last Christmas. Soon, we'll be uh, uh, tuning into BBC Sport to see Scott storming onto the golf course in Portrush, holding a potato and shouting, this is my traditional route. So happy I don't have to explain that one. And all of that means that we are coming to the end of the evening services until September. Just one, one left after tonight. Uh, we're taking a very short intermission uh, this week from the life of David. So I thought I would prepare a special message for a very special group of people. And very happily they came. Because tonight, as I look out, I do indeed see a very special group of people. Some might even say beautiful. Some might even say the remnant of Eden Grove. Some. But I'll just go with the word special for the moment. We will get to beautiful. As I look out, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. So do you promise like good Presbyterians to tell everyone? Okay. I think that one of the biggest obstacles to obeying Jesus, to really trusting Jesus, is how we read the Bible. There are good, solid, well-intentioned Christians who have been taught to read the Bible like a guidebook instead of a good news book. The sad thing with that approach is that we end up burdened with rules. And when all we have is rules, we miss Jesus. If we follow the guide, we think that we will be a righteous man or woman. But it's not very long before we fail at following the guide, is it? So we become devastated at ourselves. If we do somehow manage to follow the guide pretty well, we start to get the idea, well, God is really happy with me this week. So my question to you folks, 
what happens if we stopped reading the Bible like a guidebook? What happens if we started reading it like a good news book, like the way that God intended, instead of driving us into ourselves with despair, that it drove us to Christ and his grace? To my mind, Psalm 1 highlights really, really well the two different approaches. So please turn with me to Psalm 1. It's page 448. Even if you don't usually, uh, please do it tonight. I think it will really help you understand. So page 448, Psalm 1. So everybody who wants to be there is there? Okay, 448. Most of us know the psalm pretty well. It's the two ways to live psalm. The ESV even has a little title, The Way of the Righteous and the Wicked. And it divides into two parts. Verses 1 to 3 are about who? The righteous. And verses 4 to 6 are about the judgment of the wicked. So if you and I are Christians, we want to be righteous. We want to be blessed, don't we? Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Some translations even put it like this. Happy are those who. So what do we need to know to be blessed? Well, we don't want to walk, stand, or sit with the sinners, with the wicked, with the scoffers. That's like the kind of outside bit of the psalm, the stuff that we do. Then there's the inside bit that only we know about, us and God, delighting in the law. So Psalm 1 says that we must delight in the law of the Lord, the Torah, the teaching, and we must meditate it, meditate on it day and night, 24-7. So Christian, the good news is, do this, but don't do that. Then you'll be blessed. That sounds very biblical, doesn't it? That's what this psalm is saying. Well, actually, no, it's not. That's the opposite of what this psalm is saying. That's using the psalm as a guide instead of good news. It's using it as law instead of gospel. And if you want proof of that, can we have a show of hands from everybody who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on that law day and night, 24-7? I know I don't. If we compare ourselves to that standard, we should actually be pretty afraid, very afraid, because the opposite of being blessed is not being unhappy. The opposite of being blessed is being cursed. You could put it like this, cursed are those who do not, who do not delight in the law of the Lord. Cursed are those who do not meditate it on it 24-7. And what's the end of those who don't, those who are cursed? Well, then we st start to get into verse 4. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Verse 5, they won't have a leg to stand on at judgment. They will not be in the congregation of the righteous. Verse 6, they'll perish. That's the law of Scripture coming up and giving us a slap in the face to wake us up. That's the law acting like a mirror to show us that we're not actually righteous. 
Sometimes we do walk, stand, and sit with the wicked, with the evil, with the scoffers. And even if we don't do it now, we probably did back in the day. Of course, we know we shouldn't. But the truth is that sometimes we do. Sometimes we hear Christ's name being mocked, being scoffed at. We say nothing. The reason that we don't delight in the law of the Lord, in the instruction of the Lord, in the teaching of the Lord, is kind of like a mirror in the bathroom. It exposes the things that we don't really like about ourselves. The wrinkles, the gray hair, the bags under the eyes. I'll stop there. The evil thoughts that we have, the lust, the envy, the hatred that we carry in our hearts. The law, that mirror, shows us who we really are. And we don't need to spend a whole lot of time looking in the mirror, especially if the lights are on, to see that we are far from beautiful. So what's our hope in Psalm 1? Well, who is the man? The ESV does a great job of translating the Hebrew. The Bible in Hebrew literally says, blessed is the man. It's singular and it's gender specific. The man. If your Bible says happy are those or what joy those have, that's making a very bad interpretation. That's not a translation. I know the NRSV and the NLT do it, and I'm sure there's others. That's not translation, that's interpretation. And it's a wrong interpretation. It's blessed is the man, not happy are those. Blessed is the man. So if your Bibles are still open to Psalm 1, let's do a bit of detective work. I'll read a couple of verses and ask you gorgeous people a question. And please feel free to shout out. No hands up. The louder you shout, the more gorgeous I will presume you are. Verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Can anyone think of a man in Scripture who never walked in the counsel of the wicked, or stood in the way of sinners, or sat in the seat of scoffers? Anyone? Louder? Jesus, the Lord, absolutely. Jesus Christ did what none of us could do. Verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Can anyone think of a man in Scripture whose delight was in the law of the Lord, and who was meditating on it 24-7? David? No. Nope. Anyone? Yeah, Richard, I think you're right. Jesus. Good answer, Richard. Thank you. I'm glad you're an elder. Verse 3. I am Richard. Sorry. Verse 3. This man is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In the harsh Jewish climate, a flourishing evergreen tree meant something special. It meant life. Not like the dried-out husks or chaff that were blown away by the wind. In all this man does, he prospers. 
never fails. Whatever he tries to do, mission accomplished. Does that sound like anyone we know from the Bible? The answer is yes. Someone, please. It is, it, no, might be. It is indeed. So verses 1 to 3 are not talking about us or anyone that we might know. Well, hopefully that we do know. They're talking about Jesus. But then in verses 4 to 6, who do you find? Well, you find us, the wicked. Those who in and of themselves aren't like that fruitful, flourishing tree. But chaff, but the wind, or the spirit, ruach, the same word, that the wind drives away. Folk who up against the righteousness of a holy and just and perfect God don't have a leg to stand on and who will perish. So where's our hope in Psalm 1? It's in the righteous man. The only truly righteous man. Not David, not Samuel, not Abraham, but Jesus Christ, the righteous man who took our sin on Calvary so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The blessed man who swapped places with us at Calvary, the righteous for the unrighteous. The blessed man who would become like the chaff that the wind would drive away. The blessed man whom Isaiah 53 says was numbered with the transgressors, who did not stand in the judgment, but was found guilty, 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 and crucified for our sin. The blessed man who perished on the cross when the wrath of God was poured out on him for us wicked people. In Psalm, sorry. In Psalm 1, David is not giving good advice about how to get blessed by following good advice. Instead, he's pointing us to the Messiah. He says in Psalm 32, verse 1, if you can see it, Blessed is the man, sorry, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That is what it means to be blessed in Scripture. On this side of the cross, we know much more than David did. We have the details. David was trusting the Messiah for the forgiveness or the covering or the atonement of sin. If you have been listening to the sermons from 1 Samuel, I hope you've kind of got the idea that David really wasn't that great of a guy himself. And it gets even worse in 2 Samuel. But this side of the cross, we know that we are blessed because our sins are forgiven in Christ. We are blessed in Christ. We hear that in Ephesians from Paul. In Ephesians 1, 3 to 4, he says that God has blessed us blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So who is the righteous man of Psalm 1? Christ is the righteous man of Psalm 1. But through faith alone, and that means faith alone, not 99.9% us and 0.1, not 99.9% Christ and 0.1% us or our efforts or what we do. 
Through faith alone, that righteousness is counted to us, imputed to us, given to us, credited to us, deposited to us, whatever way you want to put it. We are blessed because Christ Christ was cursed. That's what Paul says in Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. When you come to read the Bible, and I do hope that tonight or tomorrow you will read through Psalm 1 again, that you will not read it as a to-do list. And the same with the rest of Scripture. But you'll keep in mind those two categories, law and gospel. And when you see how far short you fall of the law, that you will see your need for Christ. Really see your need and your dependence on Christ. And that you will come to rest in his finished work. Everything he does, he prospers. There's no ifs, there's no buts, no anything. You do not have to wait until you are good enough to come to Christ. Come as you are, as the old Nirvana song says. Grace really, really is that scandalous. It's kind of like that old story about the woman who used to clean her house before the cleaners came so they wouldn't see her house was in need of a cleaning. Some of us are laughing, some. But for ourselves, that's very much the mindset, isn't it? We have to be clean enough to be cleansed. Come as you are. Isn't it sad that we have such a small, tiny, impotent view of God's grace? That vision that I spoke about last week the unending waves and sea of God's grace. That is the good news. God's grace works itself out in all of life. We're brought into a right relationship with God through his free grace. And that relationship flows through everything else that we do. The outworking of that grace in our lives is incredible. If you're a Christian... Have you ever thought that every inkling you have to pick up a Bible is actually the grace of the Holy Spirit working in you? Every time you're disciplined to read your Bible for 15 minutes or 10 minutes, and if you do that every day or five days a week, you will get a lot read. That every inkling to do that is the work of the Holy Spirit working in you. Have you ever thought that every prompting to pray isn't just you trying to be holy, but is actually the Holy Spirit bringing to completion the work that he has started in you until the day of Christ Jesus? Have you ever thought that every time you overcome the temptation to gossip or lust or to hate, that that's the Holy Spirit sanctifying you and saving you from the act and consequence of that sin. Or that every time you ignore the word of God, the warnings, the hopes, the grace, 
that you're not ignoring the guy at the pulpit or the lectern, but you're ignoring the Holy Spirit. Folks, that's what Paul means when he warns us in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Do not quench the Spirit. That means that, don't quench the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not going to magically move our hands, lift our Bibles up from the shelf, and read it for us. He is not magically going to drop us into the car, drive us down, and put our backsides on one of the seats or the pews for a service or a prayer meeting or a Bible study. The Holy Spirit is not the genie in Aladdin. He is not magically going to make you come to worship. But if the Spirit is speaking to you, as the Bible itself says he is, tonight through Psalm 1, but you have no inclination to know Scripture, to pray, talk to God, or to worship God. If you've no hunger for the Word of God, for the food of the Word, it should be a little alarm bell ringing that all is not well and perhaps you're spiritually dead. If you've no hunger for the food of God's Word, just remember the dead don't eat. Folks at Eden Grove and other Christian churches, we have literally zero desire to see people acting like Christians, or at least how, Chris, how they think Christians do act. It's pretty easy to pull that off, to fake it. If the totality of our spiritual engagement for the whole week is just what we hear for 20 minutes on a Sunday morning. Anybody can pull that off. A little bit of patience, good suit. But in Eden Grove and other Christian churches, what we do have is every desire to see people, sinful, broken people like me, like you, knowing the Holy Spirit that is speaking to us in Scripture walking away from baptisms or communions or sermons, trusting that Christ has paid it all and that his promises are as real as the bread and wine or water. That desire to build a community that wants to build up each other in faith, centered around Christ, centered around Christ and hungry to hear what he has done and what he is doing and what scripture says he will do. To hear week by week that it's not what we have done, not what would Jesus do, but to hear what Jesus has done, to hear what Jesus has done for us. We have every desire to see people experiencing how Christ has blessed them and responding to the call of the kingdom with thankful, grace-filled hearts that are excited and eager to know their sins are forgiven and that Jesus really, really has paid it all. In closing, can I draw your attention back to the last two verses, five and, uh, verses 5 and 6 of Psalm 1? 
there is a congregation of the righteous. That's what the Apostles' Creed refers to as the communion of saints. The believers here on earth and those who have died in Christ and gone to glory before us. But those who aren't in the congregation of the righteous, they're the folk who will perish. The folk who don't know Christ. The spirit quenchers. And it's not perishing into nothing. It's the eternal death of hell. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Listen to John the Baptist in Luke 3 telling us about what Jesus will do with the chaff. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff, the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The chaff of Psalm 1, those who hate the righteous man of Psalm 1, those who quench the spirit will end up in unquenchable fire. But tonight, Eden Grove, please be encouraged that if your faith is in Christ, if you trust that righteous man in Psalm 1, that you stand in the company of the redeemed, the congregation of the righteous, because you are blessed by being united by faith alone to Christ, blessed with every spiritual blessings, through Christ, the righteous man of Psalm 1. And we thank him that through grace alone we are washed in the blood of the Lamb, that we are the bride of Christ, and that we are indeed beautiful. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the righteous man of Psalm 1. We thank you that he has paid it all. We thank you for your grace working in our lives to conform us to the image of him. Lord, we repent where we don't listen to you. We repent where we have our trust in ourselves or our performance or anything else. Lord, please work in us to see our need of Christ. Break our hearts with the law and heal us through the blood of Christ. For he has washed away our sin. In his name we pray. Amen.